0: Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So we're going to start with uh, how we met, which is uh, in the book kind of an interesting story. I met at the gym, and this guy comes out to me and says, uh, Hey, John, do you like white girls? And I was like, dude, it's like 2020, 2020,
1: 2018.
0: 2018. <laughs> um, oh yeah. It's been four years. Holy shit. It's like 2018. What do you mean? Do I like white girls? I like all, all types of girls. And then he's like, Hey, I have a therapist for you. I was like, man, I don't just date therapists." cut to like two weeks earlier where he's on a hike with Vanessa. I always think this I think it's such a better
1: serve up if I start. No, start no. my back. I
0: like to go backwards like <laughs> Tarantino you got a front load that's the opening oh. and now we go to because then they're they're piecing it together it's interesting. disagree okay. Beauty so, and the contrast nonlinear <laughs> and linear.
1: We have a toddler I also am recovering from a, a, a toddler induced cold, so I apologize for the coughing. Um, for those of you who haven't heard this story yet, so I always like to say people ask me how I met john I always say that I manifested him. And the reason why I say that is because, so that my version of the story, what was happening in the background before John was even made aware, uh, my best friend, Danae, some of you know her, um, she had been following John's content for a while and had shared his work with me. And I had followed him, but never really engaged. He was just like, you know, another wellness person that I, that I followed. And I don't remember what it was, but at some point he posted something and I just remember for whatever reason, it resonated with me. And so I, I fell into a social media hole and I started doing a little light stalking and um, I messaged her and I said, you know, I've, I've been poking around in his page and I said, I find him to be very attractive. Uh, he lives in L.A., he seems to be single and we have a mutual friend. And I said, I'm going to date this guy. And she was like, OK, like he has, I don't know, at the time, like 70,000 followers or whatever. And I was like, no, I'm serious. I'm going to date this guy and the odd thing was is that the mutual friend of ours and i already had a plan on the books to go hiking and catch up i had just recently ish moved to los angeles and we had already had this plan and so i thought oh this is perfect i'm gonna meet him and i'm gonna say hey hook it up you know give your friend my number and so the friend and i were out hiking and i had not said anything about john and we were talking and catching up and all of a sudden out of nowhere he said i have this friend that i feel like you would really get along with and i went Oh, and he said, yeah, he's on Instagram as angry therapist, blah, 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 and I, my immediate response was like, Oh, I don't, I don't think I know him. And I totally played it cool. (laughs) And I lined my ass off. And so I, the where do you date white girls thing is in the book as well, but it did come from a previous heartbreak that I had had with somebody who, um, you know, understandably, but at the time it was tough for me to understand. culture was very important to him and we did not have the same cultural background, the same ethnic background and. uh, That was kind of a deal breaker for him at the end of the day, and it had really devastated me and it was probably one of the hardest breakups i would ever been through in my life, and so. I was very cautious to just want to make sure that john was open to dating girls of other you know backgrounds and, and cultures and such, so that was where that that came from. But I always say I manifested him because it was just odd how it happened. And so he played Cupid and we met that next Sunday for a blind date, which John, like a gentleman, planned dinner and made reservations and all those things. It wasn't like coffee or drinks.
0: I was trying to get a good look at her butt, but she was wearing something over it. And I thought, oh, people that wear like tie sweatshirts around their butt. I was wearing a
1: long sweater. Yeah.
0: So I, um, I couldn't get it. But I I remember um, stalking her on Instagram, went through the whole fucking feed and thinking, okay, let's uh, let's let's take it. The the thing is that um, I went in um, because I was trying to do I was trying to be this. I was trying to be single at the time and I didn't want a relationship. I wanted uh, debauchery. I've been in most of my uh, most of my life. I've been in relationships. And so I wanted to do all the things that, um, you know, you hear about, like waking up with people you don't like, one night stands, you know, drugs and all that. And I kind of was scared to get into something because I thought the next one's gonna be it, you know? And so um, I was on high alert, I had my wall up high. And so I I thought it would be kind of a casual encounter and um, that's not what Vanessa was looking for. And so because of that, our uh, beginnings were really rough because I was one foot in, one foot out. And that's kind of where the book opens is on our ambivalence your ambivalence. My ambivalence, <laughs> I should say I statements, and uh, um, looking at the, the, the effects of that, you know, um, but let's start with the American nightmare, as we call it.
1: Yeah, so we open the book by talking about what John coins, the American nightmare, right, and it doesn't have to be American, we call it the American nightmare, because when most of us think of like that Norman Rockwell painting from the 50s, it's very like 50s Americana, right, um, and so, you know, We decide like what was the American nightmare to us, we had to really we had to really talk about and think about what that meant to us, and I think for us it's it's the shoulds right
0: yeah it's. um, um, wanting to find the one get married have you know the 2.2 kids and matching bmws as fast as you can yeah and so everyone um, is running toward that without uh, doing a lot of work on uh, on themselves right
1: without even questioning why running towards that right
0: well they, they think i know for me that was kind of like the american dream right you grow up you get married you have kids you know you have a house right the, the picket fence um and i i did run toward that fast at 29 i got married realized the picket fence has splinters uh got divorced and then you know by at 35 i went uh, I was single again broke and you know no friends starting over with life so i i think it, it's a pattern that could become a nightmare because a lot of people Uh, get married, have kids, get into things that, you know, may not be honest to them because of society, because of the ticking clock, because of this blueprint that we have, um, which we think leads to happy.
1: Right. And I've worked with many, many clients, and I've been one of those uh, myself who, you know, I mean, I've literally heard clients say the words, I've done all the things, I've checked all the boxes, I did what I was supposed to do, I've gone in the order that I was supposed to go in, right, I've done everything right and yet I'm miserable, right? And yet here I am with another failed relationship with you know just not knowing who I am, not feeling fulfilled, like all of these things that people, I mean, that come to us for, right? And so many times it, it in John and my experience, it comes back down to this idea of what we call the American nightmare. It's like running towards this blueprint that we actually didn't create. Um, and there's no shame in enjoying the blueprint. Like if that's what you like and that's what you're fulfilled by and that's yeah. what makes you happy, then, Amen, right? It's more about those of us who do it without questioning it, doing doing it without knowing where the shoulds actually come from. Is it our voice or is it somebody else's voice, right? Doing it so young and so early that you don't have chance, a chance or time or opportunity to get to know yourself first, right? Um, and then the inevitable fallout from that. And again, it's not that it's always gonna blow up, but there's enough people that have come to us where it has, that it really became a pattern and a theme that John and I had to consider when writing this book.
0: Yeah, and then you have kids and then your life revolves around the kids, the relationship where marriage takes a back seat and then the kids grow up, they leave the house and then you look at your partner and you don't know who he or she is. Uh, and you know, the, it's like- the or chemi- Yeah, you, you're just friends now, right? Uh, and this happens a lot. And then enter divorce, you know, uh, midlife Corvettes, stuff like that. <laughs> um I think that's the old I think there's a new blueprint forming, uh especially today with different types of relationships. uh We're finally smashing the clock you know we're we're finally um embracing singlehood. There's a lot of stuff happening now that uh, wasn't happening when I was growing up, and so I think things are changing and, and things are better now, yeah. right, which leaves room for these type of conversations and us now uh looking inward yeah yeah
1: and so. Having said all that, um, we were curious. We, you know, we wanted to start off this conversation, really opening it up, and asking if anybody would be brave enough to share with us what the American nightmare—just what we've coined it, right? What the American nightmare looks like for you, or looked like past tense for you. Um, you know, we have our own versions, obviously, and and but we're curious always to hear. I guess how that lands for you or, or what your, your thoughts or definitions are. Yeah,
0: so raise your hand. And also, yeah, um, hand. you don't have to put your video on, but if it's on, thank you. I love seeing everyone's face, faces. So we're not just talking to ourselves. But uh, who, has, uh, who can relate to this idea of the American nightmare? Because it's different for everyone.
1: Anyone brave enough? Yeah, all the way back. Otherwise, you can't see their hands
0: um it, it, just unmute yourself actually and just if you want to share it go ahead if not we'll move on
1: The hands only come from the very beginning
0: oh really it doesn't yeah, it's yeah. got to be
1: the first people nobody out of 59 people okay alicia please oh it's good to see your face alicia I haven't seen you in a
0: while okay go ahead there you go
2: um yes I can relate to the um American nightmare even though I'm Canadian um, but yeah, when I got involved with my husband, it wasn't, you know, I never thought about what I really wanted. He wanted marriage and whatnot, you know, the white picket fence, because he was raised Catholic. And I do remember when we were engaged, he went, no, I'm like, I'm not ready to get married, but he would apply that pressure. And I was like, well, I guess we're going to do it anyway. Eventually, what does it matter if we just do it now? So I kind of got sucked along in that toe without really considering what I wanted. But now that two and a half years separated, I'm trying to reclaim my life and decide what I want it to look like from here.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really good example, Alicia. It's like, again, we were talking about the shoulds, you know, whose voice is that? If it's not mine, whose is it? And and had we maybe at the time that those shoulds were being placed on us, right? Coulda, woulda, shoulda, but like you would have been, you, would have said, you know what, there's something for me that doesn't align. Like, I don't know what that is, but right now I know it doesn't align and, and I need time. Right. But those shoulds from external sources are tough.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Kelly, Bruce, you want to unmute yourself?
3: <clears throat> yes. Hi. I, uh, very much relate to the story, John, that you've shared about really not knowing myself when I got married and then growing apart, drifting apart. And, um, you know, I don't regret anything, but I do know that, uh, I've learned so much in this time of reconnecting with myself and now having relationships with different people. It's definitely holding up a mirror and helping me realize other things that I do need to work on. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you.
1: I love that Kelly. Like it's this idea of using relationships as exactly that as mirrors, as opportunities to, to understand and, and know ourselves better. Yeah.
2: Mikey.
0: Mikey, what's up? There you go.
4: uh, I think my definition is trying to balance my career with relationships, right? I've always chosen my career first, Mm. right? So that it's kind of hard to date when you work 12 hours a day, right? Um, So fitting that in and trying to be the best version of myself to attract the better version of a partner has been really difficult.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I love that you have that definition, you know, in our culture where you're supposed to be the hardest worker in the room and, um, you know, just grind. Uh, It's really hard to um, also invest in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, and we shouldn't have to choose, right? So in our society, um, sometimes we're, we're forced to, and, and uh, of course that doesn't lead to uh, healthy relationships. So, so thank you. Yeah, thanks, Margaret. All right, moving on. Um...
1: Okay, so we are gonna go into chapter one today, yeah. So let me pull it up. So I wanna go, if you have the digital version with you, um, I'm jumping up to page 18, and I wanna just read a section, my section um from this chapter because when we were going back and deciding what we were going to talk about every when i reread it i'm like oh man it like even rereading it to myself is a bit bit of a punch to the gut but it it just lands and i and i wanted to share it with you all from from my own voice even though my voice sounds froggy and nasally so (laughs) even though we finished off the costa rica trip at a small romantic hotel with some good food and hot sex i wasn't fully present i had so much brewing inside me that would carry over into the next few weeks of our relationship When we got back to Los Angeles, I made a decision. I was going to break relationship patterns that no longer served me. I was no longer going to base my self-worth on whether or not the person, the other person in the relationship, romantic or otherwise, was choosing me. I had spent my life contorting who I really was in order to be chosen. Telling myself, don't rock the boat, say the right thing, don't say the wrong thing, be the cool girl who's not too needy, don't have any needs, period. Be sexual, make them want you, but not so sexual that that's all they want. Be funny, but don't talk too much, don't be too much, always be on, like what they like, give, 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 but don't take. I was exhausted. I decided during that trip that it didn't matter who chose me if I didn't choose myself or I didn't choose me. I wanted to be able to be myself fully authentic in this relationship and in any relationship moving forward. But that was entirely on me. Maybe my knowing with John wasn't about him being my person. Maybe it was about the importance of him coming into my life so I could finally face myself and decide that I was worth choosing. So the reason why this one felt like a big point to to land on was, you know, for those who know me, uh, I, I talk a lot about recovering from codependent relationships, right? And I think in hindsight, looking at my relationship and the collision with John, I did realize that I had spent my entire life wanting to be chosen and acting out of my fear of not being chosen, right? And it had gotten me even to the place in John and my relationship where, even in that early honeymoon stage, I, we were done. I mean, there was a lot of ambivalence, there was a lot of back and forth, and I was trying to be chosen even at that point. And by the way, at that point, I already been doing 10, 15 years of therapy, and I already had all these expired relationships. And so I know that a lot of you can relate to this idea of how do I choose myself over unhealthy attachment, right? And attachment is, you know, look, it's, it's, it's scary to do that because the reality is, is that attachment equals survival. You know, for, for any one of us as a human being, we are born needing to attach. And so we learn really early on, on healthy ways of making sure that we stay attached with caregivers and other people who can't give us what we need. So we shrink ourselves so we contort ourselves, like I say, um, in order to get those breadcrumbs of attachment. And then that trickles along and through the rest of our relationships and there was something about my collision with john that made me have that aha moment where i realized i'm not doing that anymore i choose me this is who i am i'm going to show up fully and authentically and you are either going to join me or you are not and i'm not going to change that in order to beg you to choose me
0: her uh, rubber band broke yeah it was stretched for many years and then i think the person she dated before me um who broke up with her um kind of abruptly and because of uh, cultural differences um I think really stretched the rubber band and then when she met me and then I was um I love you get away the rubber band broke and then her revelation was uh, I need to choose myself yeah right
1: yeah and so in that moment for me and then I want to ask you all some questions that moment for me really looked like uh, I, I took a week from john and I told him I want no contact, I need to really be with myself and um, I, I sat with myself for a week, and I, I really decided exactly what I just said, this is who I am, this is how I am take it or leave it as my my mom would say shittering it off the pot <laughs> was kind of what I told him.
0: Two, um, two days into the week she was throwing pebbles at my window asking if she could come in lies. Uh, climbing up my window but still lies.
1: Um, yeah, but- she said that. She drew the
0: line. And yeah. then I thought about it. Uh, and then I came um, back to your house a week later with uh, some Taco Bell and flowers. Not Taco Bell. No food, just flowers.
1: You probably had food.
0: I probably had food. I probably wouldn't have let
1: you in if you didn't have food. That's her uh,
0: love language is food. Um, <laughs> but I came back with flowers and then we went for a round two.
1: Yep. Well, and because part of that was me saying, this is my line and you saying, okay, I see your line. I respect your line and I want to be here.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and that was what I needed to hear. And, uh, and so we recommitted to it.
0: So the topic is being chosen. Yeah. You know, so think about if you're in a relationship now, or if you're single, single, uh, think about the relationship you've, you've been in. Have you felt chosen?
1: Well, I, I have some deeper questions to even yeah. ask yourself, and this is from the book. Right. So where in your life and this can pertain to anywhere in your life not just romantic partnership where in your life are you acting performing or phoning it in in order to be chosen because i would bet i probably bet a million dollars that every single one in here has an answer to that question i don't care who you are i don't care how much work you've done i don't care how secure you are in your attachment Every single one of us can answer to that question, right? Where in your life are you acting, performing, or phoning it in in order to be chosen?
0: And it doesn't just have to be about um, intimate relationships. Well, that's what I mean. Anywhere um, in your life. In a lot work, of people in work, family, yeah, in work right now, if you're in a job where, you know, your boss runs it with an iron fist and it feels like uh, uh, it's the uh, Death Star, um, yeah, you may be acting, performing, uh, pulling from your, your pseudo self, as I say, uh, to be chosen, right?
1: Yep. So Jennifer said work, yep. Um, So what does that look like in your behavior, right? So thinking about what not choosing yourself looks like in behavior, Mm. right? Um,
0: So so for Vanessa, her choosing herself, the behavior of that was, hey, John, I need to take some time off. I'm gonna go off for a week, don't contact me, I need to think about this. That was a behavior that rippled from her decision, I'm gonna choose myself now.
1: And before that behavior even happened, a bigger behavior for me, and I say bigger, even though maybe on the surface, it seems smaller, a bigger behavior for me of choosing myself was actually verbalizing to him. I don't feel safe in this relationship. I feel not safe. I feel unchosen. I don't like this. It doesn't feel good to me. This is what I need and what I'm not getting. And then I need a week to think about this. So even verbalizing those things ahead of time in behavior was actually harder and a bigger deal to me than actually taking the week itself, because because the taking the week or like the cutoff was is, is sometimes easier.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting um, when we look at safety. We assume because if she said to me, John, I don't feel safe, I could say, "What are you talking about? I haven't touched you. I'm not abusive. I'm kind." um but yet she still didn't feel safe and so that's interesting right um the word safety and what it means because it's not always just about what's on on the surface or the obvious
1: oh lauren so in the chat lauren said i have a friend that i constantly find myself shrinking and agreeing just to keep the peace because she's a know-it-all i feel that in my bones Mm -hmm. i had past tense, had a friend for a very, very long time in my life, that that was our exact same scenario. Um, and it was around within a year or so actually of John and I meeting and me doing this specific choosing that that actually that friendship had to keep it faster. Yeah. And
0: and, and let me ask you what does uh, since we're talking about relationships and this is a book club about relationships, yeah. why, why are we talking about work and friendships and other areas of our lives? Why is it important that the patterns in those areas of your life also um match your your relationship and vice versa asking me yeah
1: (laughs) um well it's kind of like walking the walk and talking the talk right so there's well there's two things that are coming up it's kind of like i can't be truly authentic whatever authentic means to me and not attempt to be authentic in all areas of my life right but also The way that I talk about this is micro moments. We are afforded a million micro moments every day to practice, to put into practice, the things that we've been learning and exploring and discovering on this self-betterment journey. right? And so a lot of times when we get to, let's say, the romantic relationship, that's the that's like the hard. I got to put it into. I got to implement it, but it's really scary. So I'm afforded all these micro moments, let's say, at work with a coworker or with a friend, you know, that I can actually attempt to practice these new skills: speak up, communicate a boundary, say how I'm feeling, whatever. Um, so that when the time comes, it doesn't feel like such a you know tall climb to the top of the mountain. I suppose when it's with my romantic
0: person. Yeah, uh, for me, it's the sentence that everything ripples yeah so we can't separate you know think about a swirl like a marble right you can't separate the swirl. um we're coming at this from like a whole life approach so um if you are uh if you don't feel safe at work uh that behavior um it's gonna affect your relationship and if you don't feel safe in your relationship that's gonna affect other areas of your life so um, it's not just about the relationship it's about looking at your relationship with yourself and how that ripples outward
2: Mm-hmm
0: uh roselle says i totally relate i never felt safe in my past relationship even though it was technically quote unquote safe i'm realizing now feeling safe has a lot more to do with safe to express your emotions needs and vulnerability yeah let's uh, take a second real quick um do you feel safe do you feel safe in uh, your relationships today
2: Hmm.
0: you know uh, a lot of us may easily say yes because we think oh well there's no abuse okay um but do you feel safe in in other ways
1: is it yeah
3: are we freezing uh lucille are we frozen on your end
1: oh the internet it's a magical thing
0: let's go inside all right we're
1: gonna go inside for those of you can still hear us even if we're frozen because something's going on with our internet of course to get the, um, three dishes.
5: okay well um maybe uh take it off for of the group then um so right now in my current relationship i feel very i feel very safe but sort of like vanessa my past relationship um i didn't realize it until it really just like spontaneously combusted but it was one of the most unhealthy um, relationships I've ever had totally devastated me. And I realized only walking out of it that like one sort of gauge I have of not feeling safe is that I was constantly afraid to upset him. Or if I was like, not happy with something or just not feeling comfortable, I, I was afraid to bring it up. Um, and you know, that's not, it's not a problem I ever had before in past relationships. It was very new to that situation. And I think a lot of the, you know, it's kind of amazing how the human psyche can normalize that behavior. Um, And I was stuck in it for a long time. And it's only when it like, you know, broke that I looked back at the damage and I was like, oh, that was not me. Like I was not authentically me probably at any point in that, relationship because I never actually like let him know how I was feeling. So yeah, that's, that's to me like one really important. And I love that you guys start the book off uh, on choosing yourselves because I think it's really hard for us to know how, like when to choose ourselves, if we're not choosing ourselves, like, and I find like a lot of it does show up in like very like visceral symptoms or something, you know, like, I don't know, like, butterflies in your gut type thing. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Anybody else have some? (laughs) Yeah, Lucille,
1: I'm glad that you said that about the butterflies, because one of the questions we actually ask in the book is like, what does that feel like in your body, right? Like, I say, like, what does it feel like in your body in those moments when you don't show up authentically? Because I think you're right. For a lot of us, you know, this idea of like, my inner voice, my, my intuition, a lot of us are like, well, I don't even know what that is. And it's been turned down for so long. There's so much programming um, and and past experiences that a lot of it starts with, well, what does it feel like in your body when you do show up authentically? What does it feel like in your body when you are able to set a boundary or you are able to speak up and communicate your need? And then back into other areas in your life where you can kind of apply that that same work, right?
5: Totally. But it takes so much. It takes like at the time I had never read about attachment theory, for instance. Um, And it was only sort of, you know, through the rear view mirror that I was able to put that stuff together. So I'm also like super curious for you and John to ask, because it's like you both have very different attachment styles. Right. And the fact that you could sort of communicate that, Vanessa, um, at that moment of like, you know, your John's withdrawal made you feel unsafe emotionally, or John's like push and pull, I guess, made you feel unsafe emotionally. And that was, a you know, that was sort of the red flag to like assert your boundaries and and your worth and, and uh, as a partner. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I think that's also a really important part of choosing ourselves is like knowing our attachment styles and how we're relating to other people's um, love languages. Well, that's conflating two things, but but there's a
1: lot of overlap. So that's why we talk about all that in the book too. I mean, this stuff, I think people who have created these theories, they they put them in very like siloed, but they're not. There's so much of it that interweaves and overlaps. And it's good to understand each of those in detail for yourself to see how they do, you know, work with and relate to other people and theirs.
0: So Libby, we're gonna cover all that stuff uh, yeah. throughout the weeks. You're, ju- um, you're jumping ahead, uh, Lucille. Attachment styles and love languages <laughs> and all that. Let me ask you this if there's someone in the room and you're like, Okay, I actually uh, this is hitting landing for me because I feel unsafe in a relationship right now. What do you do because it doesn't you know just mean to jump ship right, so if you're dropping into your body, and, and you do feel un- unsafe, what do you do.
1: In a mo- in like a relational moment yeah
0: what do you do what do you what, what's what's the action step if you feel unsafe.
1: Oh God well okay it's not I mean- the
0: blame. Right.
1: No. Our whole
0: book is is uh, not about blaming. It's, it's all about, about ownership. It's about ownership.
1: Well, okay. So let me give this example. So, <clears throat> I think I might talk about this in a later chapter. But for me, John was not the first person in my life where I didn't feel like I could show up authentically and communicate my needs and speak my truth. Right. I mean, this came from many many years of programming. Right? Wait, can I
0: just say something real quick? Um, sometimes unsafety is what draws you to the person yeah right sometimes a safe person is boring so feels boring so uh vanessa in her 20s would not probably have been attracted to safe safe is not exciting safe doesn't smell familiar safe is not what she's used to um if you grew up in a in a in a a family where there was chaos and, and unsafety that's what's baked in and so when you grow up and look for love unsafety is actually attractive and and this is also where um that whole like bad boy thing, you know um comes in where people are attracted to um
1: you're attracted to what activates you
0: what activates you what's unsafe what is rocky what is chaotic you know all of that so but but now <laughs> this, now that she i met her you know um past the uh the uh you know the early 20s and now she's in a place of um, evolution, now what happens is it, it flips. And this is a great way of knowing that you've done a lot of work on yourself. What you used to be attracted to now repulses you, right? So now she is not attracted to safety. Now the red flags go up. Now her radar is, radar is sharp. And now she is coming from a place of uh, self-care, self-worth, not from the past and how she's wired. And now she's drawing a line saying, you know what, I need safety, it's an non Yeah.
1: I mean, and and to go back to your original question about like, how does it feel in my body, you know, for me it doesn't take very much to feel not safe right and again this idea of safety being broad, a broad word. Um, and for me again communicating was tough it was it was something I never felt safe doing. Um, I think I, I grew up in a household where speaking up and voicing your opinions uh, wasn't really looked at as okay right. And so i know with john over a a long time i I, he allowed me to feel safe enough to do that by essentially holding that space right it's what annoyingly therapists talk about constantly it's like Mm -hmm. creating this safe space right so that i knew that no matter what i could say what i was feeling and i wouldn't be abandoned i wouldn't be rejected right it's the crux of almost all of our fears of showing up authentically it's the fear of abandonment it's the fear of rejection And so over time having somebody in my life not just john romantically but also a best friend who did the same another best friend my current best friend um has actually allowed my nervous system to be like oh right i'm okay i'm safe i can say this thing and still feel safe i can say this thing and even if the person doesn't agree with it i'm not going to be you know left in the cold metaphorically abandoned or, or or dismissed right and, and it took micro moments, it took a, accumulation of those moments for me to now get to a place where speaking up is much easier than it used to. And I don't feel so unsafe anymore when I do
0: need to speak up. Yeah, it's almost like reconditioning your body. Oh, it's 100% that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not just about checking boxes, you know, safe, uh, not safe. It's about sitting in that new experience you get for yourself, which in this case is safety mm-hmm. in all areas of your life until your body realizes oh this is the new.
1: Yeah.
0: And sitting in that and 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 um it's like a process. yeah, it, it takes time. It's not like oh, uh, I experienced safety over the weekend, I'm good. Uh it may take years. Yeah. You know, for your body to not panic
1: and your uh, brain, you're actually rewiring your brain when you do this, you right. know, that it, it's it's a so we say that I guess to to normalize and to give like give yourself credit for doing it when you do it because you actually are going against wiring and what your body's been taught to do, you know, or not to.
0: Yes, and so if you're looking at rewiring as a practice, so you can change from the inside out, then your relationship is probably the, the, the biggest machine uh, 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 to help you with this. It's, it's your intimate relationship is who, who you spend probably most of your time with. Um, so if, if that's unsafe, there's going to be no practice as far as rewinding yourself, you know, and and this is really interesting world because now you could actually use your relationship, assuming you guys have built something healthy, as something that is greater than you to recondition you. And, yeah. And I, I think there's so much beauty in that, you know, with relationships. KDB.
4: Yeah. Okay. So what you just said about doing what um, you need to do to build the safety. So I'm going to give a little bit of backstory to kind of set this up. Uh, I, got, I met my husband when I was homeless. I was 19 years old. He was also housing unstable. Um, we got married very quickly and had um, uh, you know, obviously right into a child, right? I was pregnant with another person's child, um, which he has taken um, paternity ownership of. What am I trying to say? Anyway, um, fast forward, we've been together. This is our 20th year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that time there's been a whole lot of um him being um on his side me being on my side and us not trying to you know trying to navigate what that kind of looks like and for the last several years I've been doing a lot of work on myself um and he's been in a mode of I'm fine with things the way they are even though he isn't happy in expressing, you know, we're having a lot of challenges. He's having a lot of challenges with his relationship with the kids, which is causing relationship problems with us, et cetera, et cetera. So when you've got somebody who's saying like, I'm happy the way that I am right now, and I'm not interested in doing all of this work. And I'm saying you know, I'm going to do this work and it's going to change me and it's going to change the nature of our relationship. Mm-hmm. How do you start creating that safety, um, where, from a place where it's getting there, but doesn't exist yet, I guess. Mm. I have what I want to say, but
1: I'm going go ahead. <laughs> so <clears throat> Katie, I think you, you spoke to a few really good points here, which is like, I could be wrong, but it does sound like you're doing this with like great trepidation. Like I'm not, I'm not attempting maybe to change him, which I would say obviously is stage one, right? It's like we cannot change anybody else. Obviously they have to come to that table 100% willing on their own. All we can do is say, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm changing. Like, do you want to meet me at this table? Right? And Safety also changes. Safety changes, needs change, boundaries change, attachment styles change. Like as we evolve, so do all of those things evolve too. And so what's what's tricky, and what I've heard a lot of times in relationships, people who similar to you have been together for 20 years, et cetera, is like, well, we're growing apart, or we're changing, or I'm growing, and they're not. And what I will say is starting to think about all of that like a constant dialogue, meaning in this moment my need is this. In this moment to feel safe, I would really like for you to, um, you know, just listen and not try to fix it or give me feedback. In this moment, in order to feel safe, I'd really like to know that you're hearing what I'm saying. Like, can you repeat back to me what I'm saying so I know that we're on the same page in this moment? And I keep saying that because Sometimes, when we've been together for a really long time, we get into this habit of like, I think I know the other person. And so I don't think that I actually have to do any quote unquote work because I know them and I know how they're going to be. And you're saying to him, hello, I've changed. But sometimes it's like every single moment that comes up, can you reiterate what safety feels like to you? Boom, in that second. And will that allow him in those small tangible baby steps so it doesn't feel like to him oh my god I have to go on this huge journey of self-betterment and change in order to now you know meet Katie where she's at but I can actually moment by moment attempt to do that work in the moment with her
4: does that make sense yeah and and it it really dovetails in with where like I feel like I'm in on my journey is like learning that safety in myself yes Yes. Um. So that I can express it safely to somebody else. Yes. And uh, that's a that's a huge thing, which is hard.
0: <laughs> you also bring up a really good point when it comes to safety, um, knowing uh, how much of the safety is is me yeah. creating it for myself and how much of it is me uh, depending or wanting someone to create that safety for me. Yeah. You know, um, yeah yeah which you know and and that changes for everyone. The way that I would look at this is uh what what is my responsibility in this marriage and uh one i'm not gonna i you know I, i'm not gonna my promise to myself is speaking of safety is I'm not gonna stop my growth and evolution, so yeah. I'm going with or without him, yeah, but, but my responsibility is to do life while we're together, do life with him, not around him. So I, the ride. I would say, Hey, I want to check in with you. This is where I'm at. This is what I've learned. Eventually two things are going to happen. One of two things, one, he's going to jump on that train and be like, Hey, um, I'm doing some stuff now too. Let me share what's happening with me. And you guys are going to connect and kind of grow together, or he's going to be um, watching you. You're going to evolve and grow. And this is where a lot of couples outgrow each other. He's not going to want to do anything. And then feelings are going to change, and the thing about feelings changing usually it's secondary change, meaning it's not reversible. So if you get to a point where you just see him as a friend, and those feelings are no longer there, um, I don't know how how it's going to be hard to to reactivate that. You know, you're going to see him as a, 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 a in a different light, and if it, and if you get there then I don't know if, if it's fixable. And, and that's just a case of people drifting and growing apart because they have different interests, which
1: I think makes sense going into what I was saying about like doing it slowly in the moment, every time this is what it looks like. This is what I need. This is what it looks like. Because if you don't do that, and like you were saying, there's a process to get to the place of feeling safe enough to do that. But if we don't do that, then we end up where John is saying, then we end up with, and that's
0: irresponsible. That's not fair to both of you. To
1: either of you, right? Yeah. And, yeah. It's
0: almost like cheating because you're doing a, a, a growing, evolving and you, know, and you could say, you know what? He doesn't want to be a part of this. So I'm doing my own thing. Yes, that's fair. But if you're not... Expressing and doing and you know sharing, then you're um, you're 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 growing alone. You know you guys may share the same bed, but you're not sharing life together.
1: And here's what I will say too, and I'm I'm really glad that you brought this up, Katie. But I'm going to say something a little radical here, um, or at least what I've heard is kind of radical. Um, I think we need to, and this might be part of the the American nightmare conversation. Stop looking at the success of a relationship based strictly on numbers and start looking at the success of a relationship based on the depth, the connection, the vulnerability, the safety, the intimacy, right? So whether that's a two-year relationship, that holy shit was powerful and life-changing and I grew so much and I learned so much about myself and I'm so grateful to that person for making it into my life and then leaving when they left or that's a 20-year relationship, it doesn't matter, right? But I think I have really altered the way that I've looked at time in relationships because I know plenty of people who have had a long relationship where they're like, and I'm struggling and this is happening, right? And so I, I say that, I guess, as a way, Katie, to say like, I'm sure that weighs on you as it does for most of us. And what have you learned? What are you learning? How can you continue to learn? What is the mirror the opportunity, the mirror that this relationship is providing you, and can you can you allow that, that opportunity, that mirror to just be exactly that, an opportunity and a mirror, and then the chips will fall where they may.
0: I do want to but say no, I applaud you, yeah. Katie, for um, being in this and also 20 years, starting at 19. Holy shit, yeah. this is all you know, yeah. you know? Yeah. So growing in that container uh, can be challenging. So yeah. that's amazing, that's thank amazing, thank you. Thank you, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, Katie. We got about five more minutes. I know Maris saw, I think I saw her her hand was up. She went up up and then she went down. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was
3: just going to say something along the lines of what Katie was sharing about um, in the moment, speaking about what you need, Mm -hmm. right? Rather than just waiting a long time and then kind of blows up in your face. So if I'm doing all of this work on myself, but my partner is content with staying the same, Um, but I do bring up some of the stuff that I'm learning and working on but he still shows no interest in it and I'm choosing to still continue to work on myself while still being in the relationship right Um, is that still considered like selfish or not responsible if I don't
1: well, don't take, don't put the word selfish in there because John didn't say selfish and I didn't say selfish. So that's a right, word But if you just plucked out yeah, of your it, it feels this. selfish
3: to me <laughs> to know, go along in this path, yeah. right? While still wanting to be with this person.
1: I actually was just having a similar conversation about this with a client where we were talking about how, um, and this is going to sound like me saying this a little preachy to you, and it's not really how I mean it, but it's like we do need to find other outlets and avenues and relationships in our life where we can share and express our excitement for our growth and what we've learned and discovered that actually has nothing to do with our romantic partner. In your relationship with your romantic partner, you can express your excitement and your growth and your evolution in the moments that it's necessary and needed, like in a moment of setting a boundary, in a moment of expressing a need. Hey, here's what I need for you. Listen, I've been working on expressing my needs. This is going to be really uncomfortable for us, but like I'm feeling empowered to do it. And so just know you might hear me say things like, I need this from you and I need that from you, and I'm hoping it can lead to a larger conversation. That might be where the conversation around needs goes, but if you're looking for somebody to get on board with the excitement, and I know that excitement well, of holy shit, all these things that I'm discovering and I'm learning and patterns and attachment styles and all this stuff, and that's not them, you can't make that be them. And so in that way, there's a little bit of a difference, I feel, where we actually are responsible for finding other outlets to share that passion with that just Mm -hmm. may not be our partner.
0: Right. Here's a simple example. Um, Me and Vanessa, we have different types of fitness. She's more yoga, Pilates. I'm more CrossFit, you know, weightlifting functional. And so, uh, and and there's an overlap. Like I bring her Saturdays. Um, If she doesn't uh, pick up weights or barbells, and I have a passion there, it's unfair for me to um, want to change her or, or make her stop start lifting. So I have that in common. And so, uh, what I could do is I could share with her my fitness journey, and then get my uh, satisfaction or geeking out of barbells, or whatever, in other spaces, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you got to kind of figure out what um, works for you, and don't label that as selfish, um, because. If your partner isn't into or isn't where you are as far as uh, growth and change, I mean, you can't force him to, you know, be into something that you're you're into, right? Until until um, he's acting in a way where it's no longer safe for you. Until the drift is so far where you no longer um, are enjoying this relationship or either this relationship is is not. Um, You don't want to invest in this anymore because there's, you guys have nothing in common, right. Or because people have changed so much, you can't turn back. So I don't know how long this is happening. Has it been two weeks or has it been five years? You know, if it's been five years, you may want to look at it, you know?
3: Right. Thank you.
0: Yeah. You may want to ask yourself if this is worth investing in, if you're not, you know,
1: I think what Kaylee said in the chat is a good thing to kind of speak to maybe as we close. So Kaylee says, um, choosing self has sometimes been uncomfortable when you get pushback because you're not acting the way that it is expected, right? And this is something also, I think as just a good, let's set this up for all of our conversations moving forward. Um, John calls it the relationship tree. I call it the relationship strainer. And I'm sure all of you have experienced this in some way or another because you're here. So you're obviously curious and you've been doing work and and you've been on this self-betterment journey. When you start to change, inevitably there will be relationships that will fall through the relationship strainer. There are some people that are very comfortable with you being in the role that you've always been in, right? So, whether that role is the person that didn't have boundaries, the person that always said yes, the person that never had their own needs, that always put somebody else ahead of theirs, the the person that never spoke up, right? Whatever your role was in any relationship, most people are comfortable with you staying in that role so when you start to change they're probably not going to like it very much right and so it hurts there's no way to dismiss or to belittle how much that hurts when those relationships end and there is an inevitability to it once you step foot on this path there are going to be relationships that you are going to outgrow and again Going back to what I was saying about kind of rethinking relationships from a numbers game to like a depth of relationship and intimacy and vulnerability game, you start to then be able to put the weight potentially on either the relationships in your life that are growing with you or reaching out and finding new relationships that are going to meet you in that place. Um, and so you're going to have to disappoint some people along the way if, if you're committed to having better relationships. And that is just a painful reality of, of this work.
0: Yeah, not to end it on such a down note. I don't think um, it's a down note. Yeah, I look a, at it
1: as like, a, okay, it's empowering. Like it's scary and it's, it's um, the reality I, I'm choosing as I step on this path. You yeah, know?
0: I think it's honest, you yeah. know? And so um, some of these conversations are gonna be tough. Some yeah. of these conversations are gonna be activating. Uh, some of them will be fun and light, but um, that's what love is. That's what yeah. relationships are. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordo. Lumia Coach Training